That is the sticky note. We will get to that in a moment. We are in Romans chapter 12, and um, we need to pray. Um, I want to um, express uh, gratitude on behalf of our family for prayers for my um, dear little uh, grandnephew, Eli, um, who has just been battling in unbelievable ways. And yesterday, uh, the Lord took him home, and, and he is with the Lord. And we are praising God for the hope that exists in eternal glory. And apart from that, we have, we have no hope. Apart from that, we, we close up the, the book and we lock the doors and we go home. And so we have an amazing hope that exists through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look forward. I look forward to meeting that young man one day. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dig into this text? Um, God has wrestled with my heart, particularly over these last 24 hours. And so we're going to have a little bit of an adjustment as far as the way that we look at our text today in Romans chapter 12 uh, in, our, in our portion of 14 through 21. Would you bow your heads and, and pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we come into your presence and we are grateful that we have this, this privilege. Lord, as we proclaim you as Lord and Savior of our life, as we seek to follow you, as we repent from our own selfish sinfulness, and we hunger and thirst after you and righteousness, Father, we need your help. We need, we need the presence and the power that you promised through the Holy Spirit at this very moment. Lord, I thank you for this body. I thank you for big ones. I thank you, Lord, for every person that is a part, um, each part of the body exercising and moving according to their gifts through, through your strength and through your power and for your glory. Lord, it's an amazing thing to watch. Father, I want to thank you for allowing me to be a minister of the word of God. I, I can think of no greater or higher calling and yet, Lord, I'm reminded of how, how inadequate and how insufficient I am and how desperately reliant I am upon you for every, every word, every motion, every, every deed. Uh, Father, I, I just plead with you now that you would give strength and clarity of mind and thought and speech. Guard my, my mouth from saying anything that would not glorify you or exalt the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, for people that are sitting here right now, Lord, that have that have as well gone through a really long, hard week and are exhausted and need a word from you. Lord, we face, we face questions in the world around us all the time. And today we're faced with one of those questions and, and we just, Lord, cast ourselves at your feet that you will speak to us and direct us and lead us according so that we accomplish whatever you desire, more than what we want, whatever you want. Guide us now, lead us now. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Little summer series here. It's getting a little longer than I had expected, but that's okay. We've got a week or two left of summer. From Romans chapter 12, I call it all in. Offer what? How to offer everything how to joyfully offer everything that we have to the Lord. Every, every, every beat of our hearts, 
Every breath that we take, Lord, it's yours. We are yours. How, how do we do this? We've, we've talked about the fact that we offer ourselves to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're, we're living sacrifices. We offer our gifts to God. We offer our actions to God. We offer the last week and this week we're going to look at our attitude. Our attitude is what? It's defined officially as your state of feeling or mind about another person. It speaks about our relationship with others. Without a doubt, you have a person's name or, or face come to your mind, and it's not always, it's not always the most positive thought that, that, that comes to mind. It's hard living alongside of one another. And so we address the fact that what we saw last week we were to be kind to those who are unkind to you, we're to feel the feelings of others, we're to agree to show affection to one another, we're to hang out with the humble, some practical pieces of instruction on how we do this whole relationship thing with the body. How do we live? I'm going to pick up uh, where I left off, verse 14, and we'll read down through 21, but there's really just one, there's just one place that I felt the Holy Spirit's going to cause us to pause today. This is, this is how we learn to offer attitude God, to God. Bless those, it says in 14, um, Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And today we launch into our text with this. Never be wise in your own sight. And my thoughts and my intent were to finish... We're to finish Romans chapter 12 today and get to verse 21. And I could not get off those seven ver- words. Those seven words. And that's where we're going to begin. Never be wise in your own sights. Let me give you this little idea. You can hold on to You can write it down. You have the first point in front of you. That's as far as we're going to get today. Seek to be wise in the sight of God. What, we, what we've got to learn how to do is we offer our attitude to God. We offer everything to God. We've got to learn to seek to be wise in the sight of God. And it's these few words. Never be wise in your own sight. At first read, it, it is all honesty a little bit confusing. We certainly, certainly cannot what I call exit too early on this one. A lot of times you break down a particular sentence into phrases or words. The first three words, understand, do not stand alone, okay? Under any circumstance, never be wise, okay? We're not, we're not going to pause on that. So what did you learn this morning? Well, today I'm allowed to be a fool. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about, All of Scripture calls us, all of Scripture, which is wisdom, all of Scripture calls us to wisdom. The key part here of this phrase is what? Never be wise in your own sight or in your own eyes. Okay, the author is writing here. We know the author is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church of believers, followers of Christ in the city of Rome. Same exact phrase that the Holy Spirit, God himself today, speaks to you and I about. Never be wise. Where is phronomos? Never be wise. It's defined as having the capacity to understand, often in the daily things of what? Uh, of life. Never do this. Never be like this 
in your own sight or in your own view or into your vantage point. Well, what, what does this mean? It implies that we are to be wise in the sight of others. And perhaps even most importantly, we are to seek to be wise in the sight of God. Understand that we can be wise in the sight of others, but not wise in the sight of God. But if we are wise in the sight of God, we are always going to be wise in the sight of others. So where do we go here? What we have to do is learn to look at life. This is our goal this morning. We're going to look at all of life through God's eyes, through God's vantage point, more than our own. Paul says it like this as he writes to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, the NIV says this, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. James says it like this, wisdom comes from above, chapter 3 and verse 17. Solomon, the author of Proverbs, says this in chapter 2, verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, we are here today, and we are going to be taught today, do not be wise in your own sight. Many people struggle with this. And let me raise a hand, I struggle with this. And the reason is this. We have spent much of our lives seeking to understand matters of faith, matters of theology, and matters of life. We, we dig and we search and we study. And what happens is that we oftentimes have more confidence in our own vantage point, our own view we oftentimes have more confidence in our own understanding, interpretation, and judgments than I have from others. What happens is that we can also have more confidence and assurance in our own wisdom than even God's wisdom. We think that because we view life and we choose to do life a certain way, that that's the way it should be done from what we've gathered around us. We actually think at times, and this is really, really what points to our kind of selfishness, that, that we can do a better job. We pray with long lists, okay? God, do this and please do this. God doesn't necessarily work according to our plan. Hear me on this. God has an absolutely perfect plan. All of the moving parts of the entire universe, God has a perfect plan. And he is carefully unfolding that plan before us. And we are to seek his wisdom above our own wisdom. Sad thing is, is that we don't do that. And, and how wrong that is, how dangerous is that? As we search and strive for wisdom, and now we are told, don't rely on what you view. Don't rely on your thoughts, your opinions. And that is very hard for us. That's very humbling for us. It strikes at the very core of our own self-sufficiency. The reason is that man's wisdom, the way that we see things, simply cannot hold up to it. 
I want to remind you of the words of the prophet Isaiah. It says this in chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. The way that God thinks aren't even, isn't even the same way that we think. It says this, neither are your ways my ways. The way that God does things isn't even the way that we do things. Isaiah says, for my thoughts, not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so here it is. We ask the question, God, why? Really, why is it that you have allowed us to journey on the trail that you've called us to journey? It's okay to ask God why. Why is it, God, that I was awoken at 2.45 yesterday morning by my brother telling me that his one and his only grandchild, Elias Michael Kosorek, or as many of you simply know him as baby Eli, six months old, has died and was taken home to be with the Lord. God, I have a question here. And I think I'm not the only one to ask the question. Why, why is it that things like this happen? Why is it that less than two years ago, I stood at the front of a church to pronounce my dear, little, and beautiful niece, Courtney, and this big, tall, handsome man, Joshua, husband and wife, with the understanding that as any young couple, they have this long, glorious, happy, healthy life ahead of them. Why, why is that? Why is it, God, that a couple that has committed to faithfully serve you, Lord, wherever that may take them or lead them, why is it a couple like that is called to suffer. Why is it, God, that last year this man, Joshua, actually applied, which many of you do not and would never know, to be the youth pastor at Big Woods Bible Church, but called me a very short time later and said, Uncle Tim, I need to remove my name because Courtney is pregnant and I don't feel I can take the responsibilities of being a godly husband, a brand new daddy, and a youth pastor all at the same time. Please remove my name. Why is that, God? Why is it, God, that after eight and a half months of what seemed to be an absolute perfect pregnancy, that the very final ultrasound revealed that Eli had some abnormalities of his heart. Why, why is it, God, that after doctors and physicians consulted, it was determined, although Eli, as we all know, all of us, all of life is fearfully and wonderfully made. Why is it that he has actually several major heart 
defects, a rare combination of aortic stenosis and enlarged left ventricle and mitral valve regurgitation. Why, why is it, God? Why is it, God, that surgeons said that Eli would, would probably not even survive his delivery into this earth, that there was a less than 10% chance of surviving his birth by C-section, although he was greeted on February the 19th with a team of, of 25 nurses and doctors and medical staff? Why is it that he survived the last six months with two major heart surgeries, even growing and getting strong enough to go home for an entire month to be with his mommy and daddy and sleep in his brand new nursery for the very first time? Why is that? Why is it, God, that hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people, many of them sitting even here at this very moment, we're praying for Eli, literally in dozens of countries around the world. Why is it that they're praying for his heart to be healed and his lungs to be strong enough? And yet, why is it, God, that in your plan, in your wisdom, in your view, God, and in your vantage point, you decided to take this little boy home? Why? Am I the only one who's ever asked questions like that? No, no. Why is it God in your sovereign reign? And we know that God reigns and rules over everyone and everything. Why is it that you allow, as a loving and gracious God, things like this to happen? Why is it God who you established the foundations of the entire world allowed an earthquake to rumble in Italy and literally... 250 plus people were just crushed this past week. Why is it that diseases exist? Why is it that people suffer? Why is it that there's famine? Why is it that there's floods? Why is it that wars exist? Thankfully, God's wisdom is revealed to us through his word. All of those questions. Thankfully, God actually has an answer. Which means that when his wisdom is revealed through his word, then my opinions and my view, our view, our vantage point are all second to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather than balk at that, we can actually rest in that. We can actually trust in God's word and trust in God's wisdom. Because God's word tells us that this affliction, our affliction, all of the questions that we ask God, why? God's word tells us they are what? but for a fleeting moment. I, I, I want you to see this. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and verse 18. I want you to see this. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Here it is. Here's, here's the answer that we're all looking for, that I'm looking for. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Actually, actually, let's start in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light's momentary affliction is preparing us. See that? This light, wait a minute, a six-month-old baby was called home. And in God's view, in God's vantage point, in God's wisdom, this is light. This light, momentary, fleeting, brief affliction is preparing us in eternal weights of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, you see, man's wisdom, my wisdom, we look around what we see ahead of us, in front of us. God's word says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Oh, oh, how I need to be reminded of this verse today. Oh, oh how you and I need to know this verse, this truth. God's word and God's wisdom are clear. Here it is. Do you realize this? Every single second of pain that you have suffered in your life, every single hurt that you have ever felt, the ache in your stomach, that, that words, you can't even put into words the ache and the sadness. Every single second of the grief and the hardship that you endure as you seek to be in obedience to your Father's will is what is actually producing something. It's doing something and it's preparing you for what? For his glory, for future glory, for all of eternity. If you have suffered, and some of you here sitting today have suffered the loss and the death of a loved one, Parents who are here today who have loved. I cannot fathom that pain. Our dear little niece and nephew have journeyed further than I have journeyed. Have journeyed further than any one of my siblings. Have journeyed further than my parents have ever journeyed. They've lost one closest to them. Lost their own. If you have ever suffered through the pain of, of a divorce, a spouse just ran off and abandoned you and neglected you, 
was unfaithful to you and you felt that ache and that pain and that agony. If even at this very moment your body literally is just racked and, and it reeks with illness and sickness, even at this very moment, if you have been mocked and ridiculed, made fun of, persecuted at some level because of your faith, if you have struggled just endlessly with weariness or exhaustion or frustration or depression, whatever it is, don't let the darkness close in on you. Please understand, it is not being wasted. It's not to be wasted. It's for a purpose. God is doing something. You may not fully understand, but what you don't look to that which is seen. What is it? We look to that which is unseen. Know that, trust that, rest in that. God is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. We can't even fathom the greatness and glory that God has existed waiting for us for all time. We look not at the things seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are unseen are eternal. I read just last night as my dear family and, and loved ones, Josh and Cord, are just going through this. And they wrote this, and I quote, It is with such heavy hearts that we tell our loving friends and family that our son Elias Michael Kosorek has gone to be with Jesus today, August the 27th, 2016. The ECMO machine had plotted, and Eli was trying to go on his own for a while, but his lungs were just not able to take on this task. He tried so hard. He was pronounced with Jesus at 2.06 a.m. in his mommy's arms. He finally, for the first time in his life, has no tubes. He has no wires, no tape, no machines, and no alarms. He is whole and happy at home in heaven. He will never again have to experience another needle, IV, surgery, procedure, x-ray, test, blood draw, echo, or anything else that would cause him any pain or discomfort. He is totally, painlessly experiencing the never-ending joy of being with his Savior and life in heaven. We have been so blessed. We've been blessed to have had the past six months to spend with this amazing little man. Listen to this. We have learned and loved so much. Thank you for your prayers. Do you hear? We have learned so much. You get it? You get, you get what? You see God's wisdom here? 
unless they journeyed that, they would not have learned that. They, they're learning something, and it's they're learning that. And I'm watching that. I'm learning from these kids. I'm learning from these kids. You and I can learn so much. That's it. That's what it means. That's what it looks like to seek to be wise in what? In the sight of God. Which means we don't even look at that which is happening around us. With, 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 not, with, not with eternity in mind. We don't look at the seen. We look at the unseen. The reason Paul uses these words is to teach the fact that we have a tendency so easily, and I do, to have an overflated opinion view of ourselves, of, of our gifts, forgetting the fact that every single gift has been given to us by God himself. We have an overinflated view of, of our strengths and, and our abilities and our plans. And we make plans all over the place. And what? All of life is about that which we see in front of us. It's, it's our plans for our schools and scholarships and classes and courses and, and interviews and, and our intentions of what we're going to accomplish in this life. And God's saying, you're missing it. You're just missing it. You're missing the whole thing. We don't view it through our eyes. We don't look at the things that are seen. We learn to be wise. We seek to be wise in the sight of God. The author is saying, what? We just, just don't go. Just don't even go there. Don't go to your own thoughts. Don't go to your plans. Don't go to man's wisdom. Don't even, don't even go there. It, it, it prompts us to be this, this self-promoting, puffed-up, egotistical person, an egotistical Christian self-promoting Christian, follower of Christ. It's just a contradiction in terms. True followers of Christ, what do we do? We promote Christ. I disappear in that. I hide behind Christ and the cross. That's what we need to do. True followers of Christ promote Christ, which means that we are to live and we talk and we act in such a way so that people see Jesus. People hear Jesus. They don't need to hear me. They don't need to see me. They need to see Christ. And you are positioned here right now in your family, in your workplace, in your classroom, in your community. You sit on your bus with your friends. And what do we do? And I, I talk about it all the time. We think gospel. We think gospel. We think gospel. There was one all-knowing. There is one all-knowing, all-powerful God who created all mankind. He created everything with a spoken word. He created man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into him the breath of life in his own image God created male and female and set them in the garden. And it was perfect. And man chose to disobey. 
We move from Genesis 1 and 2 of creation to Genesis 3 to the ultimate fall. We're going to be studying that in our home groups, that you'll be taking a little sticky paper and you'll stick it on a day to learn about that in just a few moments. And man fell and, and, and what? As a result of that fall, that's why we face the hardship that we face today. Everything, every bit. Death and disease. Is a result of what is a result of man's sin. But God loved us. God saw you. God sent his own son. I cannot imagine the pain of offering your own son. Who lived a perfect and a sinless life. God himself in the flesh and form of a man died on the cross. And he paid the price of what? His father's wrath that we deserve to bear. And he stepped in and he took it one response that all of mankind all of mankind hopefully you've responded to the gospel by acknowledging the fact that you are a sinner and that Jesus is your savior and that you put your whole life your whole faith your whole trust in his hands you repent from your sin and you follow him in obedience that's the good news and with that there's resurrection and hope of all of eternity. God is doing something. God is at work in the lives of people, even here at this very moment. And so we have what? We have a reminder. We have a reminder what? Not to look through our own eyes, not to see the things that are seen, but realize that God is doing something even in the hardships that we face. And they are hard. We have the promise that God says he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And we have the joy and the hope of eternal glory through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prepare now for that time. God, we love you and we ask that you would just give to us a renewed reminder of how to be obedient in every area of our life and offer our lives to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Matt and the rest of the team are going to come and, and sing a song. And, and what I want you to do, just to, to maximize the time here, you've got a little sticky note. Even if you filled out a card and we know where you're going, I want you to make that commitment, okay? You're not getting saved by filling out a piece of sticky tape, okay, paper. Um, during that song, while we're singing this last song, I want you to come up with your name on that and stick it on the night that you're going to be able to connect, okay, with the home group. Home groups equal relationships, and that's what we do as a church of Jesus Christ.